I've got some, uh, got some neat things I'm looking forward to sharing with you today. I've got a Bible to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians chapter 4, where we'll be, you know, <clears throat> I just so, I don't know, I just, this little series, we're actually going to extend it for a, a couple of weeks just because, uh, just because I, 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 I just so want you to get some things. And maybe for a lot of us, it's not getting them, it's just being re-reminded of them because of who we are, right, and the culture in which we live. You know, I think these things are sometimes you need to be reminded often of them. But you'll see what I mean when I get there. Hey, we've been this series, we called it This Is Us. And, um, and it's a popular show, but in reality, I like the title because, because I just wanted to talk about who we are. I mean, who, who are we? Because when you find out who you are, then you find out, you know, what you're supposed to be doing, how you fit, and, and then what are the goals. When you don't know that, then, then it's easy just to waste time or to go in wrong directions or other things. So, but, but who, who are we? Well, we started off with this is you. And we talked about you individually. And, uh, and I just want you to know that when we talked about that, that was, that was what you hear most. Uh, I think the part of the problem we have today is that, is that our culture is so individualistic. And, and we don't want to think that we need anyone else. And yet, from the very, very foundation, God's called us as believers to not only be connected together, but to, but to work in unity, right? Which is what the title is today, just simply unity. You'll see when I get to that in a minute. But anyway, just to kind of go through these things quicker. So that after that, we talked about what is the church. I had you kind of throw everything out of your mind other than, you know, other than let's just what the scripture says the church is, not what everybody else thinks it is. Because if you ask everybody else, they're going to talk about, you know, institutionalized type religion. They'll talk about denominations and, and all of the, you know, the same worn out things you hear, right, from the talking heads. But when it comes down to it, you know, what is the word? What does the scripture say? It says, not what does everybody else say. And so we found out that the word church just means called out. A group of people who are called out for a specific purpose. And so Jesus made this statement when he said, upon this rock, which is who he is and what he came to do, right? The gospel. Upon this rock, he said, Jesus said, I will build my church, right? And then he said, the gates of hell won't be able to stop it. And so so what he says here is pretty interesting. He says it's his. So it's not yours, right? It's not yours. And it's not mine. No denomination owns it, right? Why? Because it's his. And he's building it. Since it's his and he's building it, he says, right? And so you have in this picture that, I don't know, everybody's got an opinion. I'll talk to you. This is still just a little bit of review. Everybody's got an opinion on what they, they, th they think the church is and what they think the, the church ought to be doing. That is its purpose. But see, you and I, you and I don't come up with the purpose for the church, right? Why? Because it's not ours. Any more than I can put a for sale sign in your yard this afternoon, <laughs> right? Why? Because it's, I, it's not mine. I, I, I can't do it. So therefore, I don't come up with the purpose for us. I, I find it. I discover it. You find it in the scriptures. And it's all there for those who want to know. So many times the church has been hijacked, quote, the concept of it anyway, and, and taken in so many different directions it was never meant to go. Which, again, is another message for another time. So anyway, we've talked about that. Last week, we, well, for, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about family. There are different metaphors or comparisons, symbolisms that Jesus uses. He uses, you know, he uses an army. He uses sheep, right? He uses, uh, he uses a, you know, a marriage, bride of Christ, which is what the church is, right? He uses family. He uses the body of Christ, which is the church. So there's a lot of different metaphors, a lot of different comparisons. We've talked about several of them. We talked a few weeks ago about it, being a family. And I know that's tough for some of you because you didn't come from a great family. But remember, God established the family to be a great place for you to grow, right? And for you to be a part of, for you to belong, you know, a lot of times what I hear from so many is that, well, I just, I just don't fit. And I understand that, that there's a feeling of that. But it doesn't matter how, if you feel you don't fit or not, you do fit. You belong. Why? Because you're his. Right? And that makes us all part of the same family. Which brings us again, I, I'm going through, a, I'm flying through a whole lot, which brings us to what we talked about last week was how we function together. 
and who he's called us to be in that. Number one, it's part of a family. That means we belong and all that goes with it and the importance of the dynamics and working together and okay and all that things. But, but then there's also the comparison of the body. You know, sometimes I'll get some, I'll get some accusations, you know, um, and, and it's like, oh, you're just trying to, you know, you're just trying to cook, cookie cutter people. Well, if you were here last week, that's just not the truth. Because I'm here to tell you is that we're as diverse as you can imagine. That's why Paul used the body concept. He says that we all have, you know, there are fingers, hands, arms, right? Shoulders, legs, feet, lungs, heart, eyes, ears. There are so many different, okay, diverse parts. And yet when they all work together, it's pretty incredible. So that's what Paul, we talked about last week. Paul said, man, where would the body be if everybody was an eye? I mean, what good would that do? Yeah, you would see real well, but other than that, what good is it, right? So diversity. Diversity is what we're looking for. I'm not looking for us to become like everybody else. Why? Because God made you uniquely different. It's incredible. Your DNA, unless you're a twin, there's no other DNA like it. Right? It's, it's who you are, it's who he's made you to be, and it's what he's doing in your life. It's pretty incredible. We talked about the different differences. We talked about spiritual gifts, all the different spiritual gifts. That was all last week if you want to read it, but there are different gifts that cause the body to be healthy when they all function together. There's different personalities. There's this widely arranged personalities you can imagine. I have four children, and Martha and I are constantly amazed, uh, or used to be, right? at just how different these kids are, even, we, even though we raised them the same. I mean, some of, these, some of the kids we had took almost no discipline. I mean, seriously. All I had to do was say, you know, I'm disappointed, and that would fall apart. But then there was this other kid that I'd say, you know, I'm disappointed, and she'd say, well, I, you know, I really don't care, you know? <laughs> and so there was more work involved with that one, right? And then she would say, well, it's not fair because you don't treat them. Well, yeah, but you're not them. You know, so don't, parents don't ever buy into the that's not fair thing. It's a joke anyway. Why? Because all of us are different. All of us are different. Absolutely different. And the uniqueness is what makes us who we are. And yet I find this incredible is that you and I need each other to function in the way he's called us to. See, this is where, this is why so many churches in our area, in our country, uh, this is the reason that they're, I'm not saying they're struggling as far as they, they may even be growing, but they're struggling because it's, it's not, the body doesn't function. Nobody's plugged in, nobody's using their gifts and abilities and so it just becomes a spectator game as opposed to being something he's called you and I to be. And that's a functioning body that's interconnected, that's diverse. Guys, we know diversity because we live in Florida. 90% of you moved here from somewhere else. I, because I sit back there at the guest reception, I say hello to people. I don't even ask, okay? Are you from Florida? My first question is, hey, where are you from? Because by and large, most about 10% of you, God bless you, you native Floridians, there just aren't many of you. In fact, the joke is, if you've lived here more than 10 years, you're a native, all right? But we know what diversity is, and we know the struggle that can come with it because we have people that move to this state from everywhere. I mean, all over the country, you bring down, you know, Michigan and Ohio. I guess I-75 brings them all to our place. But we have more people here from Ohio than, than, uh, than we have Floridians, native Floridians, all right? And which is fine. God bless you, Ohio folks and Michigan. Y'all are right next to each other. And I've heard y'all love one another, all right? So anyway, but, I, you know, we have a lot of people from the north. We have a lot of people from Canada that come down here for the winter. We have a whole lot of people basically who've moved, uh, moved from out west. We have obviously a huge Spanish component because of it, this 
state was settled by the Spanish, and a lot of Cuban folks have come here, Puerto Rican folks. We have, we have as much diversity from every different direction as you can imagine. So you and I understand it, this diversity and the ability to have to work with people. I think it's what gives a little bit of the friendliness is because people know what it's like to be new. You know, where I am from in small town Tennessee, you know, we used to think, or I used to think that everybody else had the accent. Right? Because I lived in my own little world, right? And you know, they're, they're, you know they have a weird accent. I, I had never thought for a moment that I was the one that had this accent, right? Because I was in this little place. But God has made you different, hugely different. But then he calls you to be one. So how do you pull that one off? I mean, Paul, the different gifts, abilities, personalities, I mean, it's as wide a range in this room as personality-wise. There's so many different kinds of personalities, right? Experiences. And how all of you, your experiences that God's put in your life, the, t- the trials and the different things you've been, ways you've been tested, the things you've learned, the, li- the ways you've learned to trust him, you never know how God's going to use those together with a group. But this is who he's called us to be, right? We're diverse, and yet he's called us to be unified. Now guys, let me just share something with you. That actually is impossible to do, right? Because this is not coerced. Therefore, we have to all be unified and one voluntarily. Okay, we're well, going to tell us we're nuts. That's just not possible. But when God's at work, it's not only possible, it's not only impossible, but the impossible becomes possible. Right? And what God said? And when he's at work, why? Because we're all heading the same direction. We all have the same direct, you know, you know, we all have the same desires because he's put those in us. But we also have different gifts. Okay? The problem comes is when we get our eyes off him and a hand looks at a foot and says, well, you need to be more like me. Right? Which is just not the case. You know? I've learned that a, that a foot is as happiest when it's functioning as a foot. You know, the foot, you stick it where the hand is, not going to be real happy. I mean, you know, he or she may take one for the team, but does that make sense? So we have then this picture. So today's all about unity. And what does that look like? And, and the unity of functioning together. And, and the unity of, again, understanding who you and I are in him. All the way down to, I mean, guys, just think about this. Think about this. Let me just throw this one out, and I'll come back to this at the very end. But let me throw this one out to you. Also, one of the metaphors for a church is the bride of Christ, right? Now, you ever thought about that? If God wanted us to marry one another, men and women, that is, why did he make us so different from one another? I mean, that other person is strange, Right? Now, I throw this out to you. He makes, it, he makes us different so that he might make us one. And it's the same church concept. We're extremely diverse, but he's called us to be one. It's all of these pictures. If you have ears to hear and eyes to see, it can really open up and say, wow. Because that's why it's impossible unless we're a follower of who Christ is, that this would ever be possible. Why? Well, I told you a couple of weeks ago, that, that verse that says, you know, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, let me tell you something. If you're not a believer, you'd think that's a crazy, nutty idea. Why would I sacrifice myself? What's in it for me? Until you've come to understand and have a relationship with Christ and who he is and what he's done and the difference it's made in your life, right? The new creation type concept. Unless you understand that, none of this will ever make sense, right? This whole thing, what I'm talking about, this diversity and unity and yeah, yeah, Jeff. Is this some sort of political speech? I understand what you're saying because you hear this kind of stuff. We've got to all be one. I'm not asking you to be one. I'm just asking you to become his follower and it will make us one. Why? Because it's who we are, because this is us. This is who we are. 
whether you realize it or not. Interesting, huh? So what does this look like? Okay, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna bolt through some of this because there's some things I just don't want you to miss. I have some real passions about this because so many times, so many times because this is difficult, okay? This is difficult to do. That's why churches in our culture don't do it. This is difficult to do. It's, that's why it's better just to have an online church. That way you don't have to deal with the people. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you don't have to deal with them. If they turn you off, God bless you, there'll be 10 others that come on. So why does it matter? Why? Because it's difficult because you're to be functioning, a functioning body, and you can't function, okay, over an internet cable. It's just not possible. So he's called us to be unified, diverse, but unified together for purpose. We're going to talk about purpose in a couple of weeks. I'll share a little bit today, but most of that's coming out. Today is just, again, how, do, how are we supposed to function, right? I don't know. It's an amazing thing. Let's, let's, let's jump into it today, and then you'll catch on to what I'm saying now with that foundation I've just given you, and now you know where I'm going. Now you know what I'm talking about, and so let's just, let's just put, some, let's put some flesh to it. All right, number one is God's requirement of unity, and I, requirement's probably not a great word. It probably is not one that's so much used. It is a requirement. God calls us all to be unified. In fact, Paul, in several of his letters, said, identify those who are divisive. Mark those who are causing divisions. Paul said, get rid of them. He says, they're sheep. They're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Because anyone who has a desire to divide the body of Christ is working against him. I don't care who they are, right? And that's, that's found throughout the scriptures, right? But this particular picture, take a look at, uh, take a look, we're gonna skip to Ephesians chapter four, guys. Ephesians chapter four is where I had you turn to. And he says this, he says, I therefore, Paul talking, prisoner of the Lord, urge you uh, to walk in a, manner, in, a, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So walk worthy in the manner in which you were called. So because of the difference that's made in your life, it will change the way that you live. That's what the word walk means, okay? So how are you to do that? Well, number one, it says there with all humility. You know, humility is an incredible thing. Uh, it's not what you think. Most people think humility is that when somebody looks and says, you know, you're a great, I do know, you know, you're a great, you know, drum player, great guitar player, no, 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 no. That's not humility, okay? Humility is understanding the gifts that God's given you, sacrificing them for the good and the function of the whole, not caring if you really get anything. Humility is not taking credit for the things that God's given you or that he does through you. Humility is an incredible thing, right? But it rarely comes to a person's life unless, uh, unless they understand. You know, let me, I'll, give, I'll give you a thought in more of a, more of a, like a sports, you know, type, type illustration. You know, team sports is kind of what we're talking about, a body, team sports, whatever. And it really gets to be a drag. Uh, when you are blocking for a guy who's a prima donna. Y'all know what I'm talking about? A guy who is, thinks he's wonderful and he could do it all by himself. And he couldn't. I don't care how talented you are in team sport. If the other guys don't do what they're supposed to do, it doesn't matter how good you are. But when somebody loses their humility and starts taking the credit for what others, everybody else is doing to allow them to be successful, it never ends well. It's the same way within a church. It's the same way within the body of Christ. Therefore, to walk worthy is to walk humbly knowing that however God uses you, there's a whole cast around you that he's using, right? To put it all together. It's an amazing thing. If you ever get a good look, my prayer for you this morning, God, open our eyes and let us see this. For some of us, let us just see it again, afresh. For some of us, let us see it for the first time. What does this look like? What is truly a church supposed to be? Right, scripture tells us, we don't come up with it. All right, continue. Humility, gentleness, obviously, patience, bearing with one another in love, which is what a family does. Right? Look at this. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Uh-huh. So if you're truly His, 
He's called you to walk in a, in a manner worthy. And one of those things is that you not only will maintain the unity, but you will be eager to do it. So that's why I said requirement's not a great word, because if you truly are his, it's not something that you're required to do. It's something that you want to do. You're eager to do. I want to be a part of something that maintains its unity, right? Interesting. Maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body. He goes on, he uses one over and over and over again. You realize there's one body. There's one of it. There's many parts. We're diverse, yet we are one in this body type, you know, metaphor. Just as you were called to one hope, and he gives you a whole lot of ones, right? That belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? One God and Father over all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. I want you to see this. Verse 8 and 9 are very well-known verses. It says, for by grace you've been saved. You see, guys, salvation comes into a person's life not because they've worked hard, not because they've lived a good life. Salvation, Scripture teaches us, that is being right with God, comes through a gift. It's who Christ is and what he came to do. It's called the gospel message, right? And you can't earn it or deserve it. And yet I'd say over half of the Christian, we, they call themselves Christian groups, would tell you that you cannot have salvation or be right with God without living a good life. And that is not in the Bible. That is man-made. Interesting, huh? Why? How, how can you say that, Jeff? Well, read the verse. For by grace. Grace is a gift you don't deserve. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That way, the way you get God's grace in your life is faith. And that not of yourselves. In other words, you don't have anything to do with it. It is a gift of God. And in case you didn't get it, he said, not of works. So you can't be good enough. You need a gift. I tell you what, people will get all upset. In fact, some people will even say to you, well, don't tell people that. Because how are you going to guilt them into doing anything? All right? No, it's a gift. And it's good news. And when you really realize how good news it is, it's real good. It's just some, steal some of the joy from how good it really is. Right? So that no one can boast. Now, verse 10. For we, plural, for we are his workmanship created into Christ Jesus, unto Christ Jesus for good works. In other words, we don't do, we don't live a good life in order to be right with God. We live a good life because he's, he's already made the difference in our life. It makes it possible. It's amazing. So for we are his workmanship. So there's this thought of we. He's not only working in your life individually, but he's working in us together. You see, and this is the problem and the struggle we have because most Everywhere that I've heard and I see, and this is why I'm passionate about this, is because most of the time, all the Christian books now, all the other stuff is, is, is how you can grow in your faith, and, and which is not always a bad thing. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's all about you and what God can do for you and how you can have a better life. But I want you to know that God ties a whole lot of peace and contentment together with your connection to his family. Interesting. So there's going to be a lot that's missing if we don't have this particular piece. I don't know. It's interesting. All right. So number one is a requirement. Number two is my responsibility. Okay, Jeff, what can I do? Well, there are a few things. All right. It's all found in Ephesians chapter four, verse 12. Let's read all three and then we'll talk about them quickly. It says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body. So what can I do? Okay. Number one is equip. You can be an equipper. If you've been a, if, if you've been, if you've been a believer very long, then it's, it's, it's time for you to start helping others. It just is, right? That, it says here to equip the saints. Who are the saints? Those are, those are people who are, who are right with God. Those are people who have put their faith and trust in Christ. So you either need to be equipped or you need to be helping equip. That becomes a concept. Well, what does the word equip mean? Well, I've... You know, I looked at that word. It's interesting. It's, the word equip means to teach someone how to use the equipment. Isn't that cool? And they just turned into equip. And it's, it's morphed into this other big word. But it's just teaching somebody to use the equipment. Right? So equip them. Teach, train, show. You know, I was growing up 
I, I, I just, I wanted to get, I wanted into everything. I just wanted to do everything just the way I was. And I had a father who wouldn't let me do anything, but I had a grandfather who said yes to pretty much everything. And uh, my grandfather was a Great Depression guy, okay? Uh, he grew up as a teenager in the Great Depression, had to quit school eighth grade and work. And, you know, those Great Depression folks are different. You know, we're losing them very quickly now. But most of us in the room um, didn't grow up in the Great Depression, but our parents did, or our, our grandparents, like in my case, are even further than that. But they're different. They know what it's like to be hungry, right? Not by choice, right? They know what it's like to feel shaken. I don't know, they're just a different breed. My grandfather was one of them. So he, he owned a little service station in a small little town, right? Um, just like Mayberry, right? And uh, although he wasn't goober, right? And, uh, and then he had a farm that he worked on the, on the side and he did them both. That's just, that was just what he did. But, but the one thing that was real important to him, I've shared some of this with you. So it was real important to him. He wanted me to learn things. And he was not about you standing there and watching because that was never going to happen with me. I had ADD as a kid before they even knew what it was. Now, if you let me do it, then I'm all over it. But if you just make me there, stand there and watch and learn, I'm, I'm out of there. I mean, I may, have, I may be standing there, but I'm not, I'm not listening, right? I mean, that's terrible, but it's just the way I was. Uh, and maybe a little bit still am. But anyway, so, but anyway, so my grandfather, he wanted me. I mean, he, fishing, hunting, working on cars. From the time I was little, he... He just didn't say, okay, watch this. He'd hand me a wrench. Okay, that bolt, that bolt, that bolt. He, it was just something he did. But the, the one that freaked my mother out the most, all right, is that he had land and he had a tractor. And I used to ride in his lap, right, when I was little. And, um, and then uh, he'd let me drive the tractor. Now, <laughs> I was so small, okay, and I was... But even when I was little, I was big, right? But y'all know what I mean. I was so small at the time he was teaching me to drive it is that, is that I, my, my feet didn't, didn't reach the pedals. And so in order to stop the tractor, I jumped off the seat and I landed on the clutch and the brake at the same time. And I would stand there just like, I'll never forget it, all right? And so in order to get it going again, you know, I would lower, the, lower it down and then I would get back on the chair and then, and then off I would go again. And I want you to understand though, uh, I knew how to do a whole lot of things because I had a grandfather who equipped me. Does that make sense? Of which I would still have no idea if he hadn't, right? What does it mean to equip us or you to be equipped? Guys, it's not just simply knowing something. It's growing in it, right? There are four ways you can be equipped, right? Four ways you can be equipped. Two, the first two are things that you can do. I'll talk about one, one of these more next week. I just want you to see it. Guys, this is more than just being religious. This is more than just knowing stuff, okay? This is about who he's called us to be, right? Four ways to be equipped. Number one and foremost, I believe, is God's word. Therefore, if you're asking for things you can do, right? again, I'm going to talk to you more about this next week, but the difference that that makes in a person's life, when the scripture says it's living and active, I'm going to place a dare on your life, right? And it will not be easy to do. You think it's easy, but it's not. But you spend time in God's word every day for 15 minutes everybody's got 15 minutes, but you would be amazed at how many people say, well, I just didn't have time yesterday. Oh yeah, you did. Everybody's got 15 minutes. Everybody in the room's got 15 minutes. Just spend 15 minutes. And I tell you this, all hell will break loose in your life to keep you from that 15 minutes. If you've ever tried to do it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've just you put aside time, and this is what I'm going to do. And it's incredible what happens in your brain. I mean, you can, you can save out whole hours to binge one, watch something on television, but 15 minutes a day, 
you've understood what the battle is. Right? It's incredible. Anyway, so in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says all scripture is inspired. That is God's breathed life into it, right? Okay, and it's profitable. And here's what it's profitable for, teaching, right? Reproof and correction, that is, it gives, gives us the ability to be able to correct wrong decisions and wrong directions, right? Look at this, and for training in righteousness. Aha, uh-huh. training. Sounds like a lot equipping, does it not? I remember when I played sports, training, training, you know, or if you're in the military, training was just something that happened. You know, the better equipped and trained you were, the better you did, right? But it says here that God's word is profitable for training for us to be who he's called us to be. It says that the man of God, or the woman of God, might be, com- be complete. Look at there. Equipped for every good work. Okay, so one of the things that you can do, if you want to be, if you don't want to be, then fine, then just keep doing your plan, all right? But if you want to be who he's called you to be, you want to be equipped, this is one of the big things you can do. You're going to need others in your life, and you're going to need God working in your life. If you don't have those things, it doesn't matter how much you know, right? But it says here that this is where it begins, and it's something you can control, Set aside a time every day. Lord, I'm going to spend time. And I'm not asking you to read 15 chapters a day. I found out that that does more harm than good. That's way too much information. Just get you about 15 minutes a day, read through a certain section, and let it follow you around through the day. You'll be amazed what happens. Anyway, complete, equipped for every good work. Number two is prayer. That makes sense. Prayer is a an incredible thing. Uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 4, it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the disciples saw in the early church that they needed those two things in the lives of believers. And those are the two things you can do to be equipped. The other things God has to work, which is number three, right? Number three are tests. What are tests? Tests are things that people do, that people give to you to let you see where you are. Therefore, if you have a test, it shows you how much you might know. If you have a running test, it shows you how in shape you are. Whatever a test is, it shows you where you are. But tests happen so that you can see it. Tests are not the real thing. All right? They are the real thing in some classrooms, but the real thing is, is the test shows you what you still need to do. Right? Like I know sometimes in my home, uh, where I have four children, I got these kids, and and if they messed up, you know, I tried to provide consequences synthetically in a controlled environment that's safe. I provide consequences for them because I don't have, I don't want the, I don't want them to have to learn when the real game begins. I want them to learn where I am. That's a test, right? It's what practice is training. Being able, it's, it's fine to mess up in training, right? It's fine to mess up those times. But when the game starts, you want to be your best, right? And uh, like our coach used to say, let's get all the mistakes out now, right? Because <laughs> the game is tomorrow, basically something like that, right? So testing. James 1.3 says, but you know when the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, that is strength, solidness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that, you don't, that you're perfect. And that doesn't mean the perfection, but it means you're complete. You don't lack anything. So the body of Christ needs to be diverse and not lacking anything if it is to function as best as it can. In other words, hands and feet and eyes and ears. Right? Number four is trials. Now, tests and trials are things that God will do in your life. Tests and trials. Trials are hard times. I will promise you this, it will not be fun, but you will learn 10 times as much through a trial as you will through prosperity, maybe more. I don't know why it is, but you and I learn a whole lot through a trial. God allows us to go through things sometimes to teach us to grow, right? First Peter 5.10 says, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will will himself restore, strengthen, confirm, and establish you. In other words, it's not going to be forever, but it will, you will learn. 
So there's things that happen that work in your life. Things that God's teaching you to do. Let me tell you something. It's not all up to you. Guys, I would be nervous if, if it was all up to me. I know better. If God's not actively at work, then I, I don't have any chance. No matter how, how much I might know of the Bible. Sometimes, sometimes the Lord will do different I know one thing, one illustration I'll tell you. Um, and I can share this one. It's about my son. And I can share this one because he shared this at his graduation speech. But when he was a... I try not to share with my kids unless I either run it by them. Because in doing what I do, you have to be careful. Because everybody makes a comment to them after, right? But this one he said at his graduation, so this one's open game. But, I, you know, I didn't know what he was going to share with his speech at graduation. And um, I was sitting out there first time I heard it. And uh, he said, I would like to thank, you know, how he does. He thanks everybody. And he said, and especially one of the greatest things I learned was from my dad. And I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> and he said this. He was nine years old, right? And he had a bunch of buddies, and it was his birthday. His birthday's in July, and we were all going to Bush Gardens for his birthday. And there were like seven other little boys, nine-year-olds, and me. You know, it's one of those great times in your life, you know? <laughs> and so... Anyway, so we're all going, right, you know, and maybe there wasn't seven, maybe there's five, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, we're all going, we're riding in the car, and as like little boys do, they are all talking about what they're going to ride, and what they're going to do, and, and they are all gung-ho about riding. I forgot which one it was, because it's been a while ago, but Sheikra or one of them that had just come out, so they were all going to ride it, right, and he's, he's so excited. And, and he's, he's ready, I'm going to do it, or whatever. And so we get there. We get there. Now, he's telling this at graduation, all right? We get to Bush Gardens. I don't even hardly remember this, but I would have done this. That's just who I am, sorry. But we, we, we're walking through Bush Gardens. We come up to this shikra, you know, and it didn't look near as menacing on television as this thing dives off the table and drops stories, all right? And all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> the courage in my nine-year-old son melted. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and I said, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> and so we went and got in line. He shared this at graduation. But, and, and the whole time he's begging me, even with tears, that I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I said, no, no, no. I said, we're, we're going to do it. I'm going to be with you, but we're going to do this is what we're going to do. It. And, and of course, you know what happened? Like all little boys, he, he was dying. But when we were done, he was back in line before I could get back around. And so as a dad, you have to have some wisdom. You just don't throw your kids into dangerous things. But also there's an element that you need to teach them to overcome fear. Are you hearing me? And so, see, I think that's what God does in our life with trials. How do you learn not to be afraid except being put into situations that make you afraid? And they are not fun. And yet it was the one example from my son's childhood that he chose to use that was impacting on him. Why? Because if you live in this world, brother, you're going to have to learn to overcome fear. If you don't, you're just going to hide out in your house like people do behind their computers. Right? It's not who he's called us to be. Pretty interesting though, huh? So it's for the work of the ministry, right? Therefore, we're to be equipped to do his work, Right? says for the work of the ministry. And number three is to building up. You know, when I played sports, it's, it's the big joke I like to use. You know, when I played sports, I was about the same size when I played as I am now. But it is proportioned different. <laughs> right. And when I, played, when I played ball, I worked. Because in, when I played, you had to work out. You had to, you had to work and get yourself stronger everywhere. 
right? And, and you had, I mean, you had to work on, you were only as, as strong as, as you were built up, right? And I was amazed at some of the things I was able to do in context with the team. But this is the same concept, whether it's being built up through strength, whether it's being built up through endurance, if you're a runner, whatever it might be. But the picture here is, is that it's us that are built up. And we're only as strong as our weakest link, right? Interesting. So finally, the impact of unity. And this is where we're gonna, this is where I'm gonna close. I just want you to see the impact that happens when this happens. It is powerful, and they will see, you'll see just how powerful if you'll hang with me. Number one, several things that are gonna happen. This is right after verse 12, because what does verse 12 say? Verse 12 says, equipping, right, for the work of the ministry and building us up, stronger, whatever. And then verse 13, the impact of unity says this, talks about something about unity of faith and knowledge. Let's read it. It says this, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. What does it mean there, attain? Something that we are to be able to attain. Now listen to me. We're not talking about knowledge, just knowledge. It's faith and knowledge. You know, I know people who have their PhDs in theology and they don't know Christ. They, they, got, they read the Bible 12 times a year, right? But it's, it's a loss to them. They've never trusted it. They've never put their faith and trust in it. So it's not just about knowledge, but it's about how knowledge causes us, to, our faith to grow. I say this all the time especially at dinner with the pastor. My great passion is to make God's word understandable to you. Because if you can understand it, then faith has a chance. It's not automatic, but it has a chance. But if you can't understand it, then faith has no chance because you can't trust something you don't understand. So it's both of them together. The unity of faith and knowledge. Interesting. And it's something that you and I are to attain And this attaining of faith and knowledge brings unity. So it's something that's going to happen as we, if you will, get closer to him. Number two is maturity, right? Just maturity, right? Let's uh, let's go ahead and jump. Can you get, you have that one? So number one is uh, is unity of faith and knowledge. Number two is maturity. And that's found in Ephesians chapter four and verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine, uh, human cunning and craftiness. What's he talking about? As a group of believers, if we're functioning the way we're supposed to, we provide a great atmosphere for those who are young in their faith to grow. Guys, some of you, and I don't, I don't want to make anybody feel better with it, but some of you didn't grow up in great physical families, right? You just didn't. Just not what happened to you. A lot of bad decisions, whatever it is. But I want you to think about this. Imagine how much pain you would have been saved in your lifetime if you'd have had a family surrounding you that said, no, you're not going there. Or you can do this. Or, hey, you're going on the roller coaster. Does that make sense? That's who he's called us to be. And guys, when we fail to create an atmosphere for people to learn without having to fall, we're getting close to where we're supposed to be. Why? Because it's easy for children to get get swept up in everything, but not if somebody's around saying, oh, no, 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 we're not going to head there, right? Okay, finally, uh, these are just impact, things that happen with unity. First of all, faith and knowledge. Number two is maturity, and then we'll be able to speak the truth in love. Take a look in chapter, uh, same chapter, look at verse 15. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are able to grow up in every way who is head uh, in Christ. You can read the rest of it because it talks more about the body of Christ. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? I want you to think about this. 
This is actually a result of living in unity. And I've got to get you to see it. So what is he talking about? Speaking the truth in love. And believe it or not, that shares something totally different to a whole lot of you. When I grew up, let me give you this real quick. I'm just about done. But when I grew up, I grew up in a time where the pendulum was over here. And it was on what I call the truth side. And um, if, if you're younger, then this is a foreign concept to you. But truth was a big deal. And consequences for your actions. I mean... I mean, the motto for teachers when I was growing up is you don't smile till Thanksgiving. Anybody been a teacher long enough to remember that motto? None? Unbelievable. Oh, okay, good, good. Thank you very much. I mean, it was like you got to come across tough and then you'll be able to have control of the classroom for the rest of the year. And so that was how it was. And therefore, if you messed up, you paid the consequences for it. It's just the way it was. And I had tough parents, especially my dad. I grew up in a time to where, you know, I, I did not, it did not bother me if I got in trouble at school. It only bothered me if the principal said, I'm going to call your dad, because I knew it would be worse. Why? Because it was a time of a whole lot of truth, and sometimes it could be harsh. Because people that lean this way, that's the struggle that comes with it. Well, guys, this is where I was, this is where when I grew up, but the pendulum has totally changed in this culture. And it has shifted all the way to this extreme, what I call the love extreme. Okay? Believe it or not, both are just as abusive, even though this one doesn't look that way. This is where our world is. This is where Dr. Fluffyhead is. Okay, does that make sense? This is where when you're raising children, you just... Oh, honey, it's fine. It's as long as you know I love you. Well, I'm asking, how is that working out for us? Just ask any police officer. And the amount of disrespect that they endure from a younger crowd, I would never have done that. Now, if I'd been raised like these kids had, I would definitely have done it. But see, it's all the way over here because we can't ever get on the page of truth and love being balanced. We only have extremes. And we're all the way over here now. This is why there's so much trouble, right? In fact, we've even got whole sets of people who are doubting that truth even exists. You know, and you know, and you see all this, why, well, you know, you got five teachers look at a parent and say, you know, I saw him do it. Oh, well, I believe my child. Oh, you're nuts. Well, I just want him to know I support him. That's nuts. But just, just a minute, I'll explain and then it'll all make sense. But guys, most of us in the room, we have a tendency towards both directions or one or the other. Now, I know you're gonna be shocked, but my tendency is to be more over here, right? Truth. My wife's, is, is over here. Now, get me here. It is not gender specific. I know just as many men who are more over here and then women could be over there. So this is not gender specific, it's just the way my marriage is. And yet God has called me and Martha, husband and wife, to be one. So if her and I are living in unity, incredible things can happen. Why? Because between the two, we make a pretty good parent. But if one wins out, if the stronger personality or the bully or whoever wins out, then you'll always go to an extreme. But if you're unified, that's where you need to be. Well, I learned, I learned, we learned. And it's, it's, not, it's not something you do all at once, it's something, but I want you to see that it's the unity that causes the ability to parent with truth and love. Oh my goodness. Martha come to me and say, you know, Jeff, cause see, I have a tendency to shoot a mosquito with a shotgun, right? <laughs> <laughs> but they won't ever do it again. <laughs> well, yeah, Jeff, but how much damage did you do with the shotgun? But you know, okay, okay, you're right, you're right. 
But see, if you're living in unity, you're listening to the other person, right? There's no hidden agenda. There's no winning here. In fact, if either extreme wins, the kid loses. If you have ears to hear. So in our culture, since we've had so much abuse, this is why we're tending over here. Because if you raised in an abusive situation, then you a lot of times go to the other extreme, but that can be just as dangerous, right? Anyway, I, I gotta be done. So Martha would used to tell me with our kids, you know, Jeff, I think you were a little harsh there. I said, do you think? I always said this, I said, do you think? You know, cause I didn't get it. I was just training, teaching, you know, we're gonna get in shape, right? Yeah, but they're throwing up and they've got a fever. You may wanna, oh, okay. All right, one day, that's all we need. So, okay, guys, we're all different, all right? We're all different. There is part of me that's needed, even though you might not like it. But there's a huge part of what she, and if we work together, we can do it pretty well. But if we start working against one another, if we get disunified, it all breaks down and becomes dysfunctional. For those of you who have ears to hear. Well, Martha is all the way over here. She loves her children so much it, it hurts her, right? And with that type of a love comes gullibility maybe a little bit. And that, you know, <laughs> the kids come home with a story, you know, and I said, you know, I'd say, hon, please don't tell me you were taken in by that. <laughs> Do you really think their teacher hates them? Or do you think they might have something to do with it? <laughs> I could help her, but she could help me. And if we stay on one page, we're a great parent, but by ourselves, we're dysfunctional. As a church, individually, we're dysfunctional, but together, we can be highly effective. Does that make sense? Just shake your head if it makes sense. All right, God bless you. All right, let's all stand. We'll have a closing word of prayer. All right, we'll continue on. I've only got a little bit more I want to share with you, so we'll continue on next week.